Listen, I'm excited to continue in this series and talking about um, what is the true Christmas story versus the Christmas option that we sometimes create. And I was thinking this week, whether you are a crafter, you know, like you love doing crafts or you're a construction worker, or possibly I was thinking about um, if you're just a person, this is true. You have at some point gotten, gotten something on you that you could not get off, right? I mean... Um, whether it be some sort of paint, some sort of glue, it's not that kind of caulk. You can just kind of rub and it falls off. Now that stuff that sticks with you for like two, three weeks, the only thing that gets it off is just more hard life. You know what I'm saying? Um, we've all experienced that in some sort of form or fashion to where something gets onto us, whether it's our skin, whether it's our clothes, it is hard to get off. As I was thinking about that with the message this week is, is think about that in terms of darkness and light. Um, we live in a world where there is darkness, and sometimes darkness gets on us, and it's hard to get it off. Uh, sometimes it's hard to get it out. Uh, sometimes it's hard to deal with it when it comes our way. And so I, I want us to recall something I've been saying in this series that's important. Um, we are capable, and we do it all the time, of creating our own Christmas option. And one of the, I think, greatest spiritual errors that we make with Christmas is to basically take out of it all of the darkness and the difficulty that is really there in the story, that is a real true story, just to make it light and bright and happy and easy. Listen, there's a difference between being a negative person and being a person who recognizes the reality of what's going on around me and what's true within something as well. And sometimes we do. We just create this own Christmas option and, you know, by, by painting the picture of it however we want to rather than simply looking at what uh, the, the, the scriptures say. And here's the reality that we've been saying is that our greatest spiritual blessing is born out of one of the most difficult and darkest spiritual realities and, and life realities for those who experience the first Christmas story. I mean, Mary and Joseph, it was no cakewalk. is a very difficult situation for them. And from that moment all the way to the death of Jesus, we see a lot of difficulty and a lot of darkness. And the greatest light is born out of the darkest moments. That's one of the things that we recognize in the Christmas story. And so as we live our lives always trying to avoid anything difficult or we create our own Christmas option where we eliminate all the difficult stuff, we're taking out of our lives the opportunity for the greatest spiritual blessings as a result of that. And so we need to be careful not to dismiss the hard parts or the hard things. And so just like last week, we explored what faith looks like from the perspective of Mary, right? And, and, and what our faith could look like. And this is somebody who was radically impacted, personally impacted in every way we could imagine by the reality of Christmas. And we saw that even in one of the hardest, most confusing and even dark moments of her life, her faith uh, poured forward in her song, Mary's Song. And, and this is scripture that's often read during Christmas. It's scripture that's turned into an actual song that gets sung at Christmas. But we're going to look at a verse uh, and explore a statement that has not been made into songs, but is yet still as much a part of the Christmas story. It's a, it's a statement that doesn't often get read on, on Christmas stages around the world every December. Uh, but here's the reality. If you want to get to the ideal, you have to walk through the real. It's just all there is to it. All of us have some sort of ideal picture of what our life looks like, what we want to see, what we want to experience. And if we just picture that and think, I'm just going to go from, you know, jump from A to Z, it's, it's ridiculous. We don't live like that. 
but yet sometimes we treat God's word like that. We treat our life in Christ like that too. But in order for us to get to what is ideal, we have to walk it out through the real. And so as we look at this, I want us to keep in mind this simple idea. If you look at this from the perspective of a story and and be reminded, I say this, I, I struggle with using that terminology because we live in, you know, Central Florida and everything's a story, which is all fictitious. Well, the Christmas event is a story, but it's historically factual story. You know, it's a true event. It's something that took place. But if we look at it this way today, think of darkness as the antagonist. It's the thing that's always creating problems. It's the thing that's always making our life harder or more difficult, making us more difficult for us to have faith or to see God in the moment, working through whatever it is that maybe we're going through, just like Mary and Joseph had to go through their difficulty. And peace is the turn. You know that turn? It's in a song, it's in a movie. You know, it's it's in something artistic typically where that moment happens, and you're like, oh, and there's all the relief, and there's the joy. And there's the, okay, I get it now kind of moment. Peace is that turn within the story. Darkness is the antagonist. Peace is the turn. Let's look at God's word together. Luke chapter two, we're gonna look at this verse that most often is not read during Christmas time. And I'll get it all set up for you. But Luke chapter two, you can use your Bibles. You can use the Bibles on the racks in front of you. And if you like using the Bible app, which is not our church app, by the way, it's a different Bible app. We don't own it. We just use it because they let us. We put our sermon notes in there so you can follow along. Some people like to be able to save those, use those, and and follow them later as well. So Luke chapter two, verses 25 through 32, we're gonna read uh, what happens shortly after the birth of Jesus. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required. Simeon took took him in his arms, and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, it's very nice. It should be. It's all inspiring. It is beautiful. It is once again, you remember how we talked about how Elizabeth engaged with her cousin Mary last week, and it kind of confirmed what Jesus, what, what not Jesus, but what God was saying, the angel was saying to Mary. Well, here's another confirmation of what's going on. It's like this child's been born. It's nine months later. Mary and Joseph are going through some difficult scenarios because of what they're going through in their life. Uh, and, and, you know, and here, Simeon, you know, blesses this child in the way that he does. It's a really great confirmation. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. It's a part of the Christmas story uh, where we see Simeon patiently waiting. He's hopeful. The spirit is working. Jesus is revealed. It's a nice and pleasant addition to the Christmas story. Listen, Simeon is waiting and he's waiting and the Lord is productive and he gets to see the light of the world. But the next statement is one that I think all of us could say we could do without. 
I'm certain Mary probably thought, okay, this is great. She's glowing. She's hovering. She's thinking. It's wonderful. And then Simeon keeps talking. She's like, she's like, wait a minute, stop. I didn't want you to say that. Look at what he goes on to say in verses 33 through 35. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. But then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that thoughts, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Um, you know, what was really beautiful and inspiring took a very quick, sinister, and dark turn <laughs> in these statements. Because we know in the position we're in, when we look back on everything, and we can see everything in, in the scope of time, and we understand what all that meant. But if, you, if you've ever known something's coming, but you don't know how it's going to go, the waiting's the worst, right? I mean, it's painful, it's a struggle, it's, it's hurtful, and, you know, it sometimes takes its toll of anxiety on us. And, and so he lays down this statement that is very ambiguous in the moment, but I mean, it, it's, a, it's a hard one. I mean, it's a very, there's darkness in this statement. And I can only imagine how Mary and Joseph must have felt about that. It's like, hey, look, I'd rather not know, okay? Just, just whatever. But here's where we see it, you know? Essentially, the first part of the statement is nice, correlates to the biblical idea that Jesus is coming and there will be peace brought to earth. But then the additional statement reveals how that peace is going to come. This is what's so important. Remember, if darkness is the antagonist, the turn and what we're leaning towards or trying to find is peace. Well, in this statement, it gives us clarity on how that peace ultimately comes. And this is the statement that basically says darkness is always going to get on everyone. And so think about that in correlation with what Jesus has said elsewhere. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus said, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We're like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, Charlie Brown Christmas special can't be wrong, right? Um, so where's the contradiction in all of this? Well, you have to always weigh all of Scripture against all of Scripture. You just don't take one piece or one part. Jesus never incites violence, ever. So that's not what he's talking about here. Um, in fact, he always does the opposite. But what Jesus does require, which is the reason why there's conflict, is he does essentially require allegiance. You're never just like sort of in with Jesus, you're either all in or you're not in at all. And, and when you make that decision, when you make that choice, it brings conflict into your life, which is a reality of the world we live in. Now, essentially, Jesus draws lines in the sand and the picking of sides creates this really real conflict. What Simeon is pointing out here is that Jesus is going to be an individual that will create absolute polarization in people. And we see that. I mean, people who are completely opposed to one another. And in fact, I think we see where we struggle to really see where people lie when it comes to their faith and commitment to Jesus as well. But think about what John says. He says this, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Remember, darkness is the antagonist. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who did evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that they get exposed. Their deeds will be shown for what they are. 
essentially Jesus shows us what is godly and what is not godly. And the idea that peace settles over the land like some sort of pixie dust and fixes everything is a fairy tale. It's not the Christmas story. There's actually conflict that produces the peace or brings about the peace. The idea that believing in Jesus creates a peace in your life to where everything's just right and falls into place, it's a fairy tale. It's not the Christmas story. The idea that having light uh, of the world means that no darkness will ever get on us is, is a fairy tale. It's not the true Christmas story. And so when we live to embrace the light of the world, the darkness lashes out at us, and, and there's no shortage of those illustrations. I'm sure if we were to, to pull together all the stories of your life and your experiences, you could say, yeah, absolutely, there have been times in my life when I'm trying to align myself with Christ, follow him in all that I do, and as a result, conflict came in the form of darkness coming up against what I was trying to do or who I was trying to be, or sometimes just trying to be ourselves in this world, that happens, right? There's no shortage of illustrations where that typically happens. You know, the unjust and dark things of this world are too numerous to count. But uh, we also see that the peace of God is made possible in and through conflict. Now, it's a problem for a lot of us. I know it's a problem for me. I'll try to lay that out a little bit more. But let me, let me share with you this thought from Timothy Keller. I think it's a great statement. It sums it up. It's in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says, the manger at Christmas means that if you live like Jesus, there won't be room for you in a lot of ends. You see, the point is, as soon as we choose to go all in for Christ and we align our lives with him, there is a present darkness in the world as an antagonist that will bring conflict into our lives. It brings conflict internally, we're going to look at it. It brings conflict externally as well. But here's the problem. Our idea of peace most often is a cultural construct. Everything's good. In fact, in our culturally constructed idea of peace, we don't just simply have a solution to every problem that comes into our life. We have a hedge around us that diverts every problem so we don't even have to worry about the solutions. Here's the problem with our culturally constructed idea of peace. It is a completely faithless idea of peace. At the end of the day, if you have no conflict in your life to identify the difference between what is light and what is dark or what is God and what is not God, then at the end of the day, you never have any sense of conflict within your life for God to be able to show up and do something, for God to be able to show up and work through the moment to draw you in closer to him. If everything is good and we just kind of, well, because I believe in God, everything's laid out really nice and I've got this hedge and everything bounces off, don't even have to have problems in my sol uh, solutions to my problems because I don't even have problems. It is a faithless piece. It's a fairy tale. It's a social construct. It's not a biblical reality. And so when the word uh, and, and the world uh, uh, come together, there's always this, this clashing, this, this issue. And so at the end of the day, here's what it is. The Bible makes it clear that there is a fundamental hostility and darkness against Christians. When you choose to align with Christ, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be struggle. And it's interesting. The Holy Spirit starts making the conflict within you first and foremost. Think, think about this, Romans chapter 1. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that all of us, every person is without excuse. And here's, here's what that text is saying. When the darkness that is in us is exposed to the light of Christ, there's conflict. There's turmoil, there's struggle. Uh, listen, there is an inner conflict before there's ever an outer conflict uh, as a result of this. But you gotta understand, this is how the peace comes. Think about it this way. Um, in order to fix something or someone, you normally make a mess first. The contractor goes in a house in order to fix a wall with termites, they rip everything out. It makes dust, it tear everything apart, it looks horrible. You have a few moments where you think this isn't gonna work out, the roof's gonna cave in, whatever, right? Before it all gets put back and looks good. How does a surgeon fix someone? You realize, have you ever thought about this? In order for a surgeon to fix something wrong in you, they hurt you more. They cut you. They exacerbate the problem. They create pain in order to bring about a solution. Therapists, this is exactly what the person getting therapy doesn't want. Brings up the memories that ultimately is leading to some sort of issue or struggle within their life and makes them walk through the difficult pain of the memories in order to get to the place that has changed. You don't get to a place of peace without conflict. Our culturally constructed idea of peace is everything in my life is just good and I don't have any problems where I need solutions because God fixes everything. It's not real. It may be fun for about half a second, but the reality of the Christmas story tells us that there is ultimately conflict. Let me press into this a little bit more. We often look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, as a woman who just floats around in the air. I mean, she's amazing, she's idolized, so on and so forth, right? But she was a woman. She was a per person, just like a man. She was sinful. She had problems. She had issues. She wasn't perfect in every way, shape, or form. Was she blessed among people? Absolutely. Why? Because God's word says that she was. But we also know that she showed up with her other sons at one point and basically told Jesus, this is foolishness that you got going on here. You teaching this wild, crazy stuff. You're creating conflict and problems for the whole family because you're going around basically telling people they got to pick sides. So you need to cut it out. Go ahead and wrap this little game up. Come on back home. I got a meal you know, made out for you. And he basically looks at his mom and he rebukes her. Can you imagine the pain that Mary must have felt in that moment of conflict with her son where he rebukes her and says, you're wrong. You need to get your head screwed on straight. I mean, this is, this is crazy. The light of Christ even shone on the darkness in the woman that gave birth to him. How much more so does it shine on us? And when it does, it creates some significant internal conflict. This is why whenever you're wrestling with something, it may not be fun, but it may be the best thing that could ever happen in your life. This is why I've seen some people who are extremely Christian looking and never wrestle with anything. While I watch somebody who is the exact picture of what everybody would say is not a Christian, wrestle so deeply with things, and I wonder who's really closer to God. 
um, this kind of conflict the Spirit brings into our lives to help identify for us what is light, what is dark, and draw us into God. And the eternal conflict is also one that is played out externally. When light and darkness meet, there's conflict, but the peace of God overcomes that conflict and victory. This is the story of God. Uh, just a simple illustration. I've used this before. It's just something I remember from years ago. When I used to work construction, I was around a whole different crowd than I am now. It's it's wild as I look back on it and think about it. Sometimes I miss that. There's many more opportunities. Uh, but our staff is pretty salty, so God has given me some opportunities here and there, you know. Um, I think I'm the saltiest of them all. But anyway... Um, I remember walking into a shop one time after finishing up a job, and there's a couple of guys, there's two guys in there, and this is to tell you how long ago this was. They're looking at a pornographic magazine. I don't know what it was. Um, it tells you it was a little while back, right, because nobody does that anymore, I don't think, um, with phones. Uh, and, and they saw me, and when they saw me, they were like, hey, hey, and they waved me over, and I knew what was going on. I'm like, no, I'm good. As I was like, no, I'm good. And I just went into the office to go do what I needed to do. But it was interesting whenever I watched, they immediately like close it up, put it away. It was almost like they would just been judged. They didn't like it. They didn't feel good about it. You could see it written all over their faces. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't say anything other than what I just said, you know, to you guys. But it's amazing when light comes up against darkness, there is conflict. There's struggle there. And we see it played out internally. We feel it. We see it played out in the world around us. And at the end of the day, we don't need to try and be offensive to people. Sometimes as Christians, we're just simply offensive because we're foolish or emotionally unintelligent or we just get some things out of place. The reality of it is if we just simply let the light of Christ shine in us and through us, we will be offensive to some people, but we're not the one doing the offending. It's the presence of the light of Christ that offends others. And, and we've got to be okay with that because we can't fix that. Uh, psalm 120 is a, is a good psalm, verse 7. It says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. <laughs> it's a great statement. I mean, that's how we should live in, in a sense as we deal with the internal conflict of God growing and shaping and changing us, uh, as well as the external conflicts that come in our life uh, and recognize this is how God brings about peace in people and through people as well. And, and here's the point in all of this. If you think that receiving the light of the world, if you think that receiving Christ in your life is going to remove all conflict around you, then you believe in a fairy tale and not the Christmas gospel story. It does the exact opposite. Because God does something amazing. God's peace in our lives comes out of the conflict. And here's what's happening. God is creating the conflict in us in hopes that it leads us towards repentance and submission. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I don't want to raise my hand either. How many of us had to do the same stupid thing before we finally said, I'm done with this, I'm truly repentant of this. Because repentance is a change in action. It's a change in thinking that leads to how we live. It's different. And God is patient and God is loving to the point that he will cause inner turmoil and conflict in your life to bring you to that point of true repentance, not just feeling sorry for getting caught. 
just very different. And it, it leads to submission where when we come up against those opportunities or those moments in the future where we can either side with Christ and we know there's going to be conflict or just kind of skirt around it, we submit to the light of God. We submit to the truth of God. And, and out of that comes the tranquility of God, knowing that even if in this I experience difficulty and conflict is good because I am aligned and I am one with the one who decides my fate. And that's where real, true peace essentially comes from. Let me just finish with an Old Testament illustration, which I think can help give us a, a perspective on this. We, we do a disservice to a certain degree. I get it. We take the Christmas story or Old Testament stories like Daniel and the lion's den, and we, we, we make them into um, various ways. We make them into where our kids can understand them. But sometimes we make them into stories that are just fictional, or we throw things on our kids' walls that are cute and all that, you know, like Daniel cuddling up with some lions. Not sure that's exactly how it went. Could have. I don't know. Uh, and sometimes we, we eliminate the reality of what is going on. I think Daniel's story is one of those. You got to think of a man who's been displaced from his home. I don't know about you, but I don't even like it sometimes when I go on vacation, okay? And by, or by, at least by the like third or fourth day, I'm like, okay, I want my bed, I want my home. This man has been displaced from his home permanently. He's living in a world that is nothing but dark all around him. And yet he remains faithful to God every day in everything that he does. And he's not an antagonist. He's not a, a pain in the side. He doesn't look for ways to offend the culture around him. He just simply is looking for ways to be faithful to God in that, uh, in that circumstance, right? And, and then the long story short is some people don't like him, so they create a scenario, a, a context in which uh, the king has to make a decision to throw Daniel into the den of lions, which is a form of execution. Looks cute in a mural on a wall, okay? But it's a form of execution, which makes it a lot less cute, right? And, and, and so Daniel's thrown in there. I, I don't know what he must have been thinking, but I know what I'd be thinking. Okay, well, is this how God brings my life to an end? I think Daniel probably processed that. Okay, it's fine. If this is the end, this is the end, I guess. Um, but he trusted God through every little thing that happened. Um, and as dark as it was in there, as difficult as it was, I mean, I can imagine at any minute he's thinking these lines are going to change their mind and I'm done for. And he has to process this all night long. I mean, most of us get pretty frustrated when we have about an hour or two where we're awake at night and we can't get back to sleep. And this man spends hours in the darkness listening to lions licking themselves, roaring, everything else. I mean, it's a very anxious scene. But what's interesting is the reality of what Daniel experienced and how he processed it versus the king who threw him into the, the lion's den. Listen to this statement from Daniel 6 about the king. It says, the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. All right, so he returns in the morning. Daniel's alive. This is what happens. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, not a wound was found on him. Do you know what the text says, the reason why that is? It says not a wound was found on him because Daniel trusted the Lord. 
It's not because the lions weren't hungry or not because the lions' mouths were shut or whatever. It's because it's directly correlated because Daniel trusted the Lord. Here's what I find interesting in that, and it applies to what we're talking about today. You have somebody who is in the perfect circumstance of peace, all the power in the world, all the money in the world, all the comfort in the world, and he can't sleep. And you find somebody who is in a perfect picture of not that. Dark, cold, animals that can eat me, sleeping on the ground. I mean, you name it all. And yet in it, he's trusting God. In it, he has peace. You see, so many of us think if we just change our circumstances, it'll change the darkness around us. It'll change how I feel about it. And I'll have peace. The reality of it is God brings peace in your life through conflict. And we've got to accept that and start learning to live through that. The idea that peace comes with everything in our lives is made right is a fairy tale. It's a Christmas option, not the Christmas story. But the idea that peace is made possible in the midst of conflict, that is the story of Christmas and it's the story of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at this Christmas story this morning from a different angle and a different perspective. Um, Lord, help us to continue pressing in with our, with our lives to this idea um, that we find in your word every day about the truth of who you are, of what you have done, what you're doing um, how you are inviting us graciously, inviting us into uh, being a part of this with our lives. Uh, Lord, help us through the conflict that we experience internally, externally, see you at work, see who you are for, for um, all that you do, uh, distinguish between what is truly light and what is dark. And, and submit, Lord, our lives, our decisions, our activities, our actions to everything that glorifies you, uh, even though it may uh, bring us into a position or a moment of even greater conflict. We know that in that and through that, you're preparing us for the opportunity of real true peace, not just a falsely constructed concept of peace, uh, to where we trust you more, to where our lives find greater rhythm of purpose in you and to where, Lord, we become someone that we never imagined we could be, that in any situation or circumstance, we have the opportunity of displaying the light of Christ in us and how we respond and how we act. Lord, we wanna become people who naturally respond in such a way that it glorifies you uh, in such a way that it always brings us closer, draws us into, and displays out of us your truth, your light, your grace, your love, all those things. Father, let it be our first thought, not our second or third. Keep working on us, keep us close, and help us to become somebody who naturally in every season and every moment responds in a way that trusts you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.